0: Welcome to the Go Big Redcast, the Husker Fan Sports Show, with Dave, Honky, Mac, and Boomer. Welcome to the Go Big Redcast. I'm your host, Honky, and I'm with Mac.
1: What's up, Redcasters? Special edition. We got Mr. Ciancia in the house, virtually.
0: (laughs) That's right. Uh, Tonight, we welcome back... To the Redcast, Brett Ciancia of Pick 6 Previews. Uh, Brett's publication has been rated the most accurate in the nation by Stassen.com, and you can download a digital copy of it from his website, pick 6 uh, Well worth the read. Uh, when we introduced him to the show last summer, we mentioned how he was a Blitnikoff voter. Well, since we last spoke, he's added Heisman voter to his title as well. Uh, welcome back to the Redcast, Brett.
2: Yeah, thanks for having me, Hockey and Mac. Um, I remember we started the radio tour here last year. It was a heck of a show. I'm looking forward to doing it again. And, uh, you know, first off, I want to thank you guys for what you guys do. Um, you know, I cover all 66 of these Power 5 programs, and, you know, I'm hopping around local show to local show and podcasts throughout the season, just trying to get every little detail. But what you guys do, it was incredible. I remember the Colorado episode uh, during the, the lead up to that game. I tuned in. I was getting goosebumps, man, listening to some of these old uh, Keith Jackson play calls. It was, um, yeah, you guys had like, the, the radio announcers over these uh, plays from the past games and it was really cool so you know outstanding work you guys are doing keep it up and excited to connect again with Husker nation here
0: well appreciate that yeah and, and and uh, producer skip appreciates that he put that show together you were our first guest that we had on our show and you're actually our first repeat guest and uh, since the time that we had you on the first time we've gone through to interview a number of Husker sports writers guys that we've read admired for decades we've we've talked with Husker super fans we've talked with People with opposing viewpoints, they've all been great. I don't think we've ever hung up the phone, Mac, or I. And never had any anything negative to say about anyone we've talked about. But I'll tell you what. We have talked about the interview we did with you since then. Because I don't know that we've ever met someone that has the passion and the energy that you do. I mean, today alone, uh, I think, what, were your fourth call today? Is that right?
2: <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it's been 40 shows in 10 days since the release. So uh, loving every second of it, too.
1: Uh, that's crazy, man. I feel like we look at Brett like, man... If we would have sold out when we were younger, could we have done what he's doing? That's like, you're kind of living that dream life. He's like, you know, you were talking earlier before we started recording about how you you bunker down for like six months and just go deep dives on all these teams. And then you go out in this whirlwind tour and talk about college football.
0: And I'm like, yes,
1: that sounds amazing.
0: <laughs> so, yeah, great talking with you, man. Well, yeah, nice. you, you know, last year we, we started with NU and we worked our way out to the Big Ten and then we worked our way out to National obviously in any other normal year we'd want to do the exact same thing but unfortunately there's kind of this elephant in the room that feels like we got to at least talk about it get out of the way before we can start talking football and that's this whole COVID thing and what is that going to have from an impact of you know on the field off the field and so on I don't think any of us are doctors to the point where we're going to start making predictions on whether the season's going to happen or not but I think maybe you know, from your projections, from the things that you normally look at. I mean, what are the things that COVID has already done for the last few months and, and over this off season that affects you know how the teams uh, play moving forward?
2: Yeah, so there's a lot there. I think first off, you got to get it out front. Is you know uh, everyone's health is way more important than, than football. That, that's that's certain. Let's get that out of the way first off. But mm-hmm. you know, with with that said, talking about football is what we're here to do. So how that impacted my usual season preview process. Uh, in a normal off season, I'm watching. It, it can, ends up being over a thousand hours, but it's film study, it's spring games, talking to coaches and coordinators on phone calls, uh, lo- talking to beat writers, uh, listening in to tons of radio and, and local podcasts like this one. So, if you notice one of those, uh, you know, research tools I said with spring games, I'm one of those guys. I, I watch every single spring game I can, I that I can get my hands on, and it's not so much to see, you know, whether red beat white per se, but you want to see. The early enrollee freshmen, you want to see the new starters, you want to see how coaching schemes are evolving or how new coordinators and coaches are looking, Uh, that kind of stuff is very valuable because that's the end result of 15 uh, additional practices. So uh, you take out that research tool, um, I'm flying a little bit more blind than usual. I'm relying a a bit more on continuity overall, so coach continuity, uh, scheme continuity, and a lot of uh, roster continuity in terms of returning starters or veterans. That kind of stuff, I mean, you kind of have to rely more on that than you normally would. I think in a short offseason, it's going to be tougher to install new schemes overnight or uh, settle three-way quarterback battles overnight. So all those things now start to factor in more. But uh, that's in terms of leading up to the season preview book. Now, in terms of the fall, um, yeah, I'm not going to lie to you. I don't really have a definitive answer. Uh, in fact, I kind of shy away from people speaking in definitives about the stuff that will happen in September. I mean, we just don't know. This, mm-hmm. thing, this thing evolves day to day, and I'm not going to sit here and pretend to know, you know, how pandemics are going to are going to play out. But um, I just hope that, you know, if everyone can remain healthy with it and safe and if there's a way to pull this thing off and, and get the, uh, you know, the 85 scholarship players and, you know, the, the coaching staffs and everyone on out, out on the field get these games in, uh, if it costs us fans in the stands, I think all of us would just take that at this point because the worst outcome possible is to go without a season So, or, or you know, to risk it. So that's my take on it for now. But uh like I said, pending and change week to week, month to month. So we'll see.
0: Yeah, amen. Anything for games right now. I think that's about all we're looking for. Um That could be a T-shirt. That could be yeah. a T-shirt right there. <laughs> successful one. Well, let's go and talk Nebraska then, all right? You know, I guess I want to start first just talking big picture. And I always have to start this with you. We talked about it last year. I love something that you do usually earlier in the year, January, February-ish. You do a Blue Bloods Twitter poll for, you know, all these different teams. Like, are they still a Blue Blood, yes or no? And Nebraska, a year ago when we talked, they were uh, considered one of the Blue Bloods. And again, this year, uh, they were one of the eight teams that finished above 50%. We had 65% yes out of however many, 120-plus thousand votes Nebraska, Alabama, Ohio State, Oklahoma, Notre Dame, USC, Michigan, and Texas. Those are the eight. And then there was a, a pretty big uh, separation before you got to the next tier team, starting with Penn State and, and down from there. So I guess, just in general, as, as even though we didn't have the season we wanted to have last year, and even though we haven't had a, a few seasons in a row like we wanted, um, we're still at that status.
2: Yeah, so one of the themes in my book that you'll see is um, you know, I'm a numbers guy, I'm a data guy. I, I try and take some of these buzzwords that you always hear in college football, stuff like player development, you know, even this blue blood, you know, these these kind of generic terms, I try and get numbers on them as best I can. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then re- and then really try and talk talk about the story after we have some numbers to talk about. So with the blue blood thing, I mean, you could talk to the, every one of those 120,000 voters that I had, and they'll each have a different definition of what they think a blue blood means. I mean, you got guys, you got 31% voted for, voting for Clemson, uh, I mean that's definitely a recency bias right there. For Talk sure. about before Dabo, they had one one national title in 150 years. So mm-hmm. um, yeah. So with that with that being said, though, I went for the law of large numbers here. 120,000 votes, and there's a clear, sharp divide after this top eight. Uh, There's eight you mentioned down to the the Penn States and Florida and Florida states of the world. So did 2019 severely impact Nebraska's standing as a blue blood? I don't think so. I mean, it didn't help things. Um, (laughs) But I think in the the grand scheme of things, this is not really a a year-to-year type thing. It's going to take decades uh, of underperforming to really fall out of that discussion. So... Um, a couple of things, though, specifically I wanted to bring up with this is that I know it must be tough being in, in the Nebraska bubble. You know, it's been three bad years here and a couple decades without a title, that kind of thing. But when you look at the other teams in this list, the wait for Nebraska hasn't been that much longer. So we're talking since 97 national title Nebraska. That's the same for Michigan. They shared that year. Mm-hmm. Um, and then just to think that USC and Texas always get off the hook. I mean, those, those titles were only seven eight, and eight years later. Uh, more recent than Nebraska. Uh, to take it a step further, Notre Dame—that's uh, all the way since '87. So I mean, that's a Nebraska de- Nebraska's a decade more recent than Notre Dame, but you never hear anyone getting on their case, uh, even though they haven't won a New Year's Six or BCS bowl since 1994. So I, I think that it's, uh, yeah, it, it's easy to get caught up in the last three years. They were have been pretty rough and, and way below Nebraska's historic standard, but not enough to throw them out of a what is more, in my terms, a longer term list here.
0: I actually remember that Notre Dame game. They beat AM in the Cotton Bowl uh, right before Nebraska kicked off against uh, Florida State, the uh, Byron Bennett last second missed field goal game. Uh, anyways, let's talk about last year then for Nebraska. Because as we talked a year ago, I remember, Mac, you made the statement, something along the lines of how we were living in the, the offseason of hype. Mm-hmm. And how it was almost uncomfortable how the hype was kind of – it felt like it was coming in from the outside in. It wasn't one of those years where Correct. it was Nebraskans, you know, hyping us up. It was almost Correct. like, oh, my gosh, you know, everything is, is coming in to, to make this year be this great one. And it just never lived up to it, right? And I guess the question I want to have – Almost immediately. Yeah. <laughs> well, and the question I want to have, and this goes to the game grader formula that we just love. We think it's awesome. We want to go to your game grader formula to last year and say, where did we all go wrong? Or maybe to flip down the other side, did we not go wrong? Were we actually right about some things, but maybe just one or two things is the difference between this team being a 5-7 and seven team or 8-4 and four or 9-3? and three? I guess, right. what, what did your study and, and your numbers of last year's Husker team show?
2: Yeah, so, I mean, when you look back to the prediction of, from a year ago, it was kind of taking a couple leaps of faith that you tend to see in programs in a coach's second year. We thought that there would be improvements on both sides of the ball scheme-wise because players are now a year more experienced within the scheme. There were a ton of young starters in 18 coming back in 19 usually take a step there Uh, but also under the Riley years and even Frost's first year there were just a ton of uh, penalties and turnovers and just crazy just fluky ways to lose games and I thought that and this again was a leap of faith I thought that in in a second year there a lot of those little issues would go away. But when you have a lot of little issues, it becomes big issues in terms of eight, eight lost seasons. So I thought that a lot of that would have, would have been cleaned up in the second year. It turns out it was kind of the same Nebraska. I mean, we, we saw more of these turnovers, self destruction, really. I mean, you're talking about a 17 0 lead against Colorado. Really in control control the game. I mean, I remember thinking at that time, well, first off, it was all red in the stands. <laughs> yeah. But second off, I remember thinking, wow, I mean, Nebraska's going to shoot up the ranks a little bit here and uh You know, start to make my Big Ten West prediction look true here, Uh, (laughs) but then, uh, like you know, just like a light switch, it just turned off, and then you saw the old, uh, the old Nebraska meltdown. I mean, stuff like you know, blew a fourth quarter lead against Purdue, uh, letting Indiana come in and beat them. Mm -hmm. Um, Just stuff like that. So. Uh, we could talk numbers. We can talk, you know, just some anecdotes like that. I mean, all of it together. It's, I don't know. It's, it's got to get fixed. So yep. I thought it would happen year two. I, that was a, a misfire, I guess, but, but not so much. I don't blame the logic there because usually you do see some of that efficiency in the second year.
0: So and I don't blame the logic there that yet either because that's part of the what we've talked about over the course of the off season is that as we've had more of a chance to review the season, we earned that five and seven. We've never argued that you know we should have had a better record, and yet. I've always kind of said that it's razor thin the difference between us going three and nine. We could've lost to Illinois and Northwestern, but we could have won four other games without being that much better either the The difference between three and nine and nine and three were were pretty razor thin, and you know we were up collectively forty one to three against Purdue, Colorado, and Indiana, yeah. and lost them all. you know I mean it's just crazy, just couldn't finish and I love what you wrote on the page about Nebraska. You said no team seems to shoot itself in the foot more. And then in parentheses, well, maybe Tennessee, but that's it. And I think that's so accurate. It's It's good to hear somebody else say that, though, outside
1: of Nebraska, because I feel like, well, it's probably just my own. I'm like, we clearly can't be – every team's this unlucky or this – so many stupid things seem to happen to our team the last 10 years. And it's like, it's good to hear someone else just say, oh, yeah, that's a weird thing that –
0: happens to Nebraska. Does your game grader have a formula for kickers getting hurt? Because we got down to our third string (laughs) kicker and couldn't... Third string? It affected every single (laughs) drive where you couldn't even rely on trying to kick a 30-yarder. Yeah, that
2: was just another issue on top of everything. It's just... Yeah, I mean, I wrote in there, like you said, they shoot themselves in the foot. It's been what, since some of the Pliny years even, it's just been, every time you look up, it's just Nebraska or Tennessee just finding new ways to lose, and it's just, it's got, hey, and, and, and ironically, it's two of the most passionate and loyal fan bases, I mean, I give you guys so much credit for putting up with some of this stuff, I mean, oh my God. I mean, this is, this is Division One football, uh, you can't even get a kicker out there, I mean, you know, Thank I, you. I, I, I give a lot of respect to the kids that came in, uh, you know, I think there were some walk-ons, uh, tryout type stuff but I just don't I'm not blaming them I'm blaming how did it get to that point I mean this is a power five and what we just call it a blue blood get a kicker man and uh, ironically Nebraska used to have a, a long history of kickers so yeah. I mean I'm sure that'll get that'll get shored up soon but yeah just overall though it's just that kind of stuff like there are games there are W's being left out there every single season and it's not just frost it wasn't just Riley it's just I don't know yeah. so another thing I did put in there and um you know kind of worrisome when you start to look at this thing. Uh, I think maybe five years ago, it was all about, can Nebraska win the league? Now it's gotten to the point, I mean, can they even compete with Iowa and Wisconsin? They're 9-9, 500 against Minnesota, Northwestern, and Purdue. I mean, these are programs that are outside the top 50 when you talk about any kind of prestige metric. Mm-hmm. Uh, 500 against them. Uh, 1-11 against Iowa Wisconsin. Like, this stuff, you've got you to take baby steps here. Let's get back to bowl season, oh, yeah. start beating the teams they should beat, and then uh, then we'll start targeting bigger goals. But...
1: Yeah, it, it's going to have to be those, you know, and it's 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 not out of the realm of possibilities for a college football team to make that kind of jump. I mean, we talk about last year's razor-thin edge, but, like, if I was to say a team's got a, a third-year starting quarterback coming back, almost the entire offensive line coming back with some deep depth at the tackles, a running back coming back with who's, you know, kind of found his groove at the end of the year, it's not unreasonable to have expectations that team should jump up offensively. But I can't say that. It's like when I say, well, this year is the year we're going to start using our tight ends. I'm like, I've said that every year. <laughs> and like, and we never use our tight ends. I'm like, we've got these great tight ends. Oh, this guy's a, he's going to change it, man. This this transfer from Rutgers. He'll be the guy. I'm like, well, if he's the guy, he's the first. Because we haven't done it yet. So I don't know. It's It's always a comedy of errors in some ways. It's so frustrating. You pull your hair out, but it's like a light switch man if winning becomes part of the the culture here like if the team really wants to win there's games to be won this division is is tight but it's not insurmountable you know what i mean
2: Yeah, absolutely. There's no dynasty in the division. I guess you can call Wisconsin something like that, but there isn't what I'm trying to say. There's no top five recruiter like a Clemson and Ohio State and Oklahoma. I mean, the West is up for grabs. It should be up for grabs uh, in any given year. Um, Yeah, so, I mean, to to take the optimist spin on it, I'm, I'm an optimist myself, I mean, I think a lot of the things I said should have happened in 2019. You know, the second the the gain of efficiencies of returning starters of scheme. We also thought we'd see a strength and conditioning boost that didn't really hold true. I mean, maybe it's still a work in progress, but not reflected in run push.
0: No. Uh, maybe mm-hmm. all
2: that clicks. I mean, maybe that finally. It, maybe it took an extra year. Maybe it's year three. Uh, because you bring up a good point. He finally has a, a veteran offensive line there. Three seniors, four returning starters. Yeah. And then plus, you're starting to see that, uh, that high level recruiting kick in the uh, four star Bryce Benner coming in a 6'9 giant yeah. at right tackle. So I think that's the, the
1: kind of, of stuff, too. Like when yeah. we can get those yep. tall linemen in there and start, you know, really getting some production. Cause, you know, we've recruited fine. Even Bo, you know, Polini, four stars here and there. It's when can we start counting on these kids coming in red shirts, you know, freshmen, red shirts, sophomore and really contributing? Cause that's, I think, we're we're just not there yet. We're still kind of relying on transfer talent and some young kids coming in their own. Martinez, third year starter though now. So it's like we're, we should start to see some of the fruits of what we were hoping or what we were shown to be good recruiting numbers, right? So I don't know.
0: I mean, one, I would feel a hundred times different with just two more wins last year. But well, so one weird. Thi- one thing though, and this goes to those recruiting numbers. And it's one of the things I really like about your publication, Brett, is how. It, one part of it's recruiting. We all acknowledge that. But it doesn't end there. It doesn't end the second someone signs their name to come to your school. It's it, Then the next part is you know that player development and win conversion. And you lay that out really well. So one team that is in our division, Iowa, ranks number one in your win conversion and number two in your player development. And part of that is the, right. o- well, the opposite of that is typically usually the recruiting, right? They're not yeah. going to be rated as high on that end. But then what they're doing on the development, they're turning it into wins.
2: Yeah. I think that um, you know most national guys they, they all cover recruiting. I think it's obviously the backbone of a program. Uh, I think we talked similar thing last year, but I mean, can the services miss on a certain player? Yeah, that happens all the time. Um, but I, I think that over twenty to twenty five commits in a class, mm-hmm. and then when you stack four and five years of that, talking eighty five to one hundred commits, they're more right than wrong. So they definitely the recruiting rankings definitely matter. Sure. but again, what what happens on you know, signing day in February, that's not the end game. you got to be able to recruit to your scheme. you got to have a good scheme anyway, first off. Uh, so coaching matters. Then you got to develop the players up, uh, strength and conditioning, and then getting them to execute in game too—that win conversion you touched on. The, the, the team that's really good at that and program is good with that is Northwestern. Um, yeah, something that doesn't that. really get caught in all the offense and defensive stats and numbers is they are very clean penalty wise. Northwestern, yep. and I'm, I'm still fig- trying to figure out a way to put a number on that, but that's got to help them at least a field goal or a touchdown every game. I mean, it's just it's clean, smart football. Uh, on the opposite end, you have some drive killing penalties. Uh, that Nebraska's been pulling off for years. So, yeah, I wanted to take it a step further, not just leave it at recruiting on signing day, but, you know, how is that being developed into NFL talent? Uh, How's it being developed within a scheme uh, and converted to wins? So, that's how, you know, another angle there.
0: Yeah, and to your point there, dead last, number 66 out of the Power of Five uh, conferences here in Nebraska is listed in, in your player development. And from a win conversion, uh, Nebraska's number sixty-two out of that. Over the course, going to be hard to argue with those numbers you came up with. There, yeah, and I'm trying. To, I'm trying to look over what the the time range is, range is, but roughly the last five years or so. I mean, that's
2: jeez. Yeah, one thing to note here that isn't really all Frost's fault. Uh, if you look at the time span, I try and get to a five year window. Sure. So, um, the recruiting I'm trying to look at here is the thirteen to sixteen classes. And how that was produced into the NFL draft 17 to 20. Mm-hmm. So a lot of that, and this gets back to an even higher issue, is just coach continuity, how important that is. And just program continuity, because if you're constantly switching head coaches and coordinators, that just brings the transfers up. And now we're in this unprecedented era of transfer activity where, I mean, it's like musical chairs across the country. Um, and I think a perfect example of it is is at Nebraska overall, but also at, at the receiver position. It seems like you know you keep signing these four star kids, and then they they're all over the place. I remember writing the Oregon State preview this year, and it's like three of the best players are Nebraska commits, and yeah. and, and Dan Riley's there himself. So mm-hmm. it's great. It's just crazy. I, I also remember seeing a stat from one of the Omaha World Herald, I believe, uh, or or Lincoln Journal Star guys talking about it. I think it was the seventeen or eighteen class, one of those classes, and it's like. Five of those players are still in Lincoln, <laughs> and everyone else is transferred or retired or mm-hmm. uh, I don't know what. But yeah, I think it's something to be said about program continuity, player retention. Yep. I mean, getting the getting the kids to on campus and stay there, and uh, you know, develop them and have them fully bought in. And again, a lot of that isn't Frost's fault. He inherited a tough situation. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's 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 talk two years from now about these metrics and see how Frost really performed. So we'll see.
0: Yeah, I, that's part of the reason why I wanted to lay those metrics out is to. This helps explain I think the situation that Nebraska has been in over the course of the last 5 years it is what Frost inherited. Yeah. And there are some things that I think we can throw on Frost and there's some things that we shouldn't. Like what you mentioned with Northwestern as an example. And in 2 years ago they win the the West without winning a single non-conference game. And they win the Big Ten west and they won a bunch of close games and I remember you saying that a year ago how they don't get penalties they they win those close games that way Nebraska if we could find a way to shoot ourselves in the foot we do and a year ago we lost four games by a, a score or less Iowa wins four games by a score or less you know that's the the razor thin difference between you know two or three more wins it's not impossible to think that and if Nebraska's eight and four last year instead of five and seven it's amazing how different everyone feels right now it's amazing how everyone doesn't necessarily feel like Last year's preseason hype was so wrong. If we had just won two or three more of those really close games, but again, as I say that, we earned the five and seven. Yep. There's no argument there. Yep.
2: Yeah, there's something to be said about close games. I mean, that's that's part of the reason I designed that formula, to the game greater because you know not all wins and losses are created equal. Mm-hmm. Um, exactly. You know, talking about the Ohio State, you know, forty point loss there. <laughs> uh, a forty a, a forty point spread is is a lot different than a missed field goal and a three point loss. So yep. uh, that's all factored in. Um, that's why you still see Nebraska, even though they were, uh, what four and eight last year, I think they were top 30 still or top 35 in game grader overall still, you know, and about an average team, way better than their record has showed, but I don't know how many, how many years you can keep saying it, you got to start yep. converting those into W's. So they're close. I mean, I don't want to be too, uh, too negative here. They're very close. Uh, this team brings back a lot of, uh, experience and production on offense. Uh, they still, if you look at the metrics, they are still the highest recruiting power in the division. And uh, something else I've said on some radio shows with Nebraska is, I mean, look at this recruiting job that Frost has pulled off, because um, you're talking about, not even to talk about the the geography disadvantage, you know, they have to recruit coast to coast, but coming off of three pretty bad years, win-loss record-wise, to land three top 20 classes in a row. Uh, and bring it to some new heights I mean I can't even imagine imagine if they stack a couple 10 win seasons here um if they can even attract that top 15 top 10 talent so it's on my uh, vision that,
1: board so yeah I
2: imagine <laughs> yeah. it all the time <laughs> um yeah so that's kind of uh, a, a nice testimonial from the recruits' eyes. that all right they they can sense that even though they were a four win season there a five win season that, that they buy into Frost's vision uh his culture whatever he's telling them. I mean it's it's clearly clicking so that's optimistic right there going forward. Imagine if they can get back to bowl season and start stacking some 10-win seasons. I nice. uh, think it's in the right direction.
0: Yeah, yeah. I, I even think about recruiting right now. We're at 9, 10 guys, whatever it is, about halfway through our class. To do that without even really being able to get kids on the campus right now, there's a, a COVID-related issue that's going on right now. Without having uh-huh. the visits and everything, I mean, I think it's remarkable what Frost and, and staff have been able to do to get yeah. guys to – to basically commit here without even coming to Lincoln yet, which is something we've always said is crucial.
2: Yeah, I, I, that is absolutely crucial. I, in, in my head, I was thinking of who the loss of a spring game would hurt most, and really, I mean, number one right away. I think loss of a spring game hurts Nebraska so badly yep. um, in recruiting because that is the biggest weekend of the year for recruiting and bringing in the, the whole junior, yeah. whatever the junior day. I mean, you get a handful of commits right after that every year because it's like a freaking home game. Yeah, um, I mean, a, you know, a fall Saturday, so. There are a certain amount of recruits out there, if not most of them, that really value fan support. And this is something that is never going to go away from Nebraska. It's also something that I've been looking into and trying to study a bit more. Looking at these Southern California prospects, uh, you know, that's USC, UCLA area. Ten years ago, 70 or 80 percent used to stay right there, you know, within that half hour block, going to the two L.A. powers. You look back last class, 2020, 8 percent stayed at those two. And I think it was just one or two guys. So, wow. um, I, I'm not saying that fan support's the only reason, uh, but it, it must hurt walking out to an empty Rose Bowl and getting 50 points, but you know, hung on you every week, or going into a half-empty Coliseum with the local press and media putting their coach on the hot seat for about 24 straight months. That's starting to pay off, and I think that people are, you know, recruits are starting to go more national and more out of their backyard so if there's anyone to benefit from that it's it's either notre dame or nebraska who, who recruit the most national so mm-hmm. um that's a whole different tangent I'm, I'm thinking about doing a separate book on the, just the geography ties with recruiting i'm fascinated by the, mm-hmm. the regionality of it but nebraska is definitely an outlier in that sense
1: how much will you know just in that in that vein will the image and likeness thing throw a wrench into recruiting say prowess right i mean like that's a whole nother tool some programs will have maybe more of an advantage of than others to start using that you wonder if it's like maybe southern cal can keep some of those guys then because they can offer them you know there's maybe there's better chance of marketing themselves out there but then again you come to a market like nebraska where you will legit be a star who's to say you know it's like it's, it's impossible to predict how this is gonna go but boy man that it's gonna change recruiting i promise it's gonna change recruiting
2: yeah, that's going to be a whole new frontier, almost like the social media craze was about 10 years ago. I mean, Dabo Sweeney was on the front end of that. They had the best creative team. Uh, they really tried to sell the experience of Clemson. I mean, mm-hmm. I've never seen a guy love a post-game presser so much. The guy, it's like a, like a Hollywood <laughs> audition every time. I, I respect it, but that's kind of that's, that sells to recruits. Uh, but one, one quick note on uh, this 2021 class. I mean, you said it'll be, you know, it's, it's virtual. It's, it's definitely one of a kind. Um, get ready for the biggest decommitment cycle ever. I mean, (laughs) including history. Because, I mean, think, I'm not even just trying to, you know, I'm not trying to make fun of these kids or anything, but none of them have been on campus anywhere. And none of them have even met the coaches in person yet. And I'm not saying they could have, but, uh, I think some of these commitments or verbals or whatever you want to call them are a bit premature just to kind of hold your seat in line. Uh, this is going to be a freaking circus. Um, and I think that, this is also a test for Frost and his staff to, to prove how you know how they can connect with kids, uh, given that they're only they're only able to you know have the phone calls, the texts, the, the Twitter, that kind of stuff. So, but yeah, get ready for. And I looked this up too. Um, compared to June last year, there's already more commitments than there were last cycle. And We're talking about these guys have never been on campus. So, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, get ready for uh, the season within the season, and that'll be the, the recruiting signing day. My gosh.
0: Yeah, well, it's one thing I've always said about Nebraska. And I've kind of used just for round numbers. I said in a normal year, if we have 20 recruits that I think 10 of them should come from what would be the 500 mile radius, and half of those 10, so five could even be Nebraska kids. I think on any given year that could be the case. And then the other 10, the other half would be national kids, kids that are outside that 500 mile radius. And if you look where we're at right now, we're halfway through that. We're at about 10 kids, I think right now. and five of the 10 are 500 mile radius kids. We got two from Iowa, two from Nebraska. One from South Dakota, and those are the kids that, especially to your point, when you're going national, and you're trying to get convinced kids to come from a thousand plus miles away, and they haven't even been to your campus yet. I 100% agree with yeah, you. You're there. you're
1: going to want to be local this you're year. You're going
0: to, but this is a year where I, I think those five kids are especially important. Guys that have been to campus, guys that are close, guys that do hopefully have a, you know a little deeper connection to the program. Those are the guys that are going to hopefully you know stick through it as we get into that crazy decommitment schedule, like you're talking.
2: Yeah, I think definitely the the local type kids they know more about Nebraska and, and they're able to see through some of the preconceived notions that the average national kid would think. I mean, mm-hmm. it's funny when uh, whenever you see these Twitter arguments, it's always like people think that Lincoln is like in literally the middle of a hundred mile cornfield, um, and like you know the, the surrounding area. Don't get me wrong, it, it is very rural, but uh, I've been out there. It's just like any college town. It's it's a special place. It's a capital city. Uh, you got Omaha an hour away, so you kind of have the best of both worlds. It seriously is a matter of getting kids there. You, you hear it all the time after these kids visit places, but you always hear a little bit extra glow from Nebraska visits, especially after a game day. So yeah, that spring game definitely hurts. Yeah. But um we'll see, man. I mean. It- it's something to monitor this year. It'll be an unprecedented cycle, but the early returns on Frost recruiting were positive. So I'd say my closing point with uh, 2020 Nebraska and just Nebraska going forward as a program would be really just to just stress the patience. That's my key word this year with Nebraska is patience. You know, giving Frost the, the, the allotted time, it might take four, five, six years here, and, but if there's ever a coach to kind of give a longer leash and, and give a, a bigger lead time, this is the guy. I think that Frost is the guy to fix Nebraska. He's the right coach here. No one cares as much as him, and that's what you want in your leader. So I would say give him patience, because what you see in other power programs that might have lost a step in, in recent decades, places like Tennessee or Miami or Texas, they're they're way too quick to fire the head coach or fire the coordinators, and what that does, that constant fire, hire, fire, hire, just turns into transfers, and you, you know it hurts recruiting because you don't know who you're committing to, uh, and it just never corrects itself, so... Nebraska, or all these programs really they have to hit on a coach and give him time and let it build start to build an identity over a couple classes and, and seasons so that's the closing point there It might not be this year but I think this is the guy get behind him and uh, you know give him a, a longer lead time than he normally
1: would I hundred percent agree with you Brett nobody washes a car better than the owner right and with Frost <laughs> being our head coach you just can't pick a better guy who understands the culture at Nebraska what it took to Nebraska football to get to on top, and the style, the mentality, how important it is to the state. We're going through our lumps right now. Whatever. We're, we're not immune to it. We're blue blood, but, man, no one's immune to these kind of dips and lulls. And we're, we're taking it on the chin for sure. And Twitter is a very hard space to yeah. live in right now. But I feel like our head guy is the guy. He's a leader. I'll give him a couple more years for sure before. <laughs> no, I'm serious. Like four wins – for two more years. I'm going <laughs> to have to
0: say something, but you know <laughs> <laughs> Well, <laughs> for the meantime. yeah. <laughs> There's a number of other blue bloods on your list yeah. here that they're lucky that there wasn't Twitter around during their down years. I mean, Oklahoma I'm in the 90s. Nin- well, it Oklahoma in the 90s and Alabama between Bear Bryant and Saban. I mean, it the <clears throat> point is we're not alone here, but I absolutely agree. And and the other thing is Riley's a good example of a coach that got 3 years and he was gone. Well, part of that was you could tell three years in that we were moving backwards. We weren't making progress. Here's the thing I'll argue with anyone. I've never felt like we aren't making progress under Frost. He took some lumps last year. He redshirted an entire class that probably could have helped him win a few more games if he hadn't redshirted him. That needs to start showing up next year. But I do think between walk-on programs and strength and conditioning and shutting down the border and recruiting in-state kids and doing all those things, he's doing the right things. He's, he's done, done everything doing, except win he, enough he's games. He's done everything that, I've ever argued that we need to do at Nebraska to win. They haven't happened yet.
2: Yeah, another thing too. I mean, you can just tell. We we just touched on it, but you can tell how much this means to him. I listen to a lot of post game pressers. I watch a lot of those post game press conferences. And after losses, a lot of times coaches just give you the, the couple buzzwords and the, the coach speak and put a fake smile on and get out of there. But when Frost loses some of these games, man, it looks like hmm. he's been through a freaking battle. I mean, it, you can tell it just it weighs on him. It means a ton to him. Yep. Um, and that that's got even in a loss that's got to inspire the fans today. You know, this guy cares just like us uh, if we're sitting in the stands or on the couch. He cares just as much as us. So will effort and passion alone win games? No, you got to start seeing that too, but that's a great positive to have.
1: Yeah, Yeah, I personally do 20 more
0: push-ups every day
1: just because (laughs) of Coach Frost.
0: (laughs) Unfortunately, losses are a great segue into the Big Ten talk here for us, and I hate to say it that way, but it's unfortunately true. But this year, uh, instead of having us winning the West, you have us finishing fourth in the West, behind Wisconsin, Minnesota, Iowa. Those are three teams that all finished in the top 15 last year. And Nebraska lost all three. makes sense. I guess as we start to transition out of the Nebraska solo talk and going into Big Ten, you know, I had a conversation with uh, Jeffrey the Greek. He's on the Eyes of Big Ten podcast. You've talked with those guys, him and Big Kurt. And uh, great guy, great podcast. Redcasters uh, listen to them. When I was talking with him on a show a couple months ago, He talked about how he thought Nebraska maybe has the largest range of any Big Ten team this year. And I mean, he literally stating he thinks Nebraska could go anywhere from repeating four and eight all the way up to going 10 and two. You know, so I mean, a really large range. Do you see things the same way? Do you see Nebraska having that kind of range? Or should we be focusing more on just the six and six and seven and five and getting to a bowl game?
2: So, so first off, uh, shout out Jeffrey the Greek and uh, Big Kurt. Love what they do. I've been on their show a bunch and, you know, keep up the good work over there. Yeah, I think that there's definitely a range, but I would probably narrow that scope a bit. I don't really see a path to 10 wins this year for Nebraska, yes. if we're being honest. I mean, it's a brutal, brutal schedule. You're drawing Ohio State and Penn State out of the east. Uh, you got to go at Wisconsin, at Iowa. Um, and, again, I, I already gave away that one nugget, but 1-11 versus Iowa and Wisconsin. Wisconsin alone, that's 0-6. And in, in those six games, they've allowed 330 yards rushing per game. I mean, uh, it's just not even competitive, so it, it's hard for me to see that flipping overnight. So right away, I, I think ten is out of the question. I, I also think that four is out of the question. They're going to either stay the same or improve. So I'd say anywhere, uh, anywhere six to six to eight, I feel pretty comfortable with six to nine regular season. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, I, I see an improvement, but I don't see a breakthrough in terms of like a, a conference title run or a you know a ten winner. But we'll see. Mm-hmm.
0: Now, if, if I was going to try to make the argument, and this is a hard one here to do, but I'm, I'm still going to try it, <laughs> that Nebraska has narrowed the gap with Wisconsin and Iowa. And I'll give you two reasons why. Iowa, we've lost two straight games that were walk-off field goals, right? Now, two years ago when we lost Iowa, the game didn't feel that close to me. It felt like we were getting blown out, and it's more of a credit to Frost in year one and and that team that they even stuck around to the end to lose by a walk-off field goal. But last year, I mean, it felt like... Iowa took over early, but then Nebraska came back. And, I mean, by the end of the game, it was toe-for-toe, and we weren't getting pushed around like we were. We had made some progress, and we still lose by field goal. So I look at Iowa losing by six points in two years to them. It doesn't feel like we're that far off. Wisconsin, last year we ran for 300 yards sack-adjusted against them. We had 500 total yards of offense, but it was a different kind of yards than we did two years ago. We're we're grounding and pounding. You know, Dedrick Mills had – he had 180-some yards on like 17 carries. He averaged like 11 yards a carry, I think it was. You know, it felt like we actually had an identity, in offense against them, but we made mistakes. In fact, both that Iowa and Wisconsin game, we – Kick returns. We had kick returns go for touchdowns. Hey, special teams, right? So – is there any way I can convince you, or is there any reason that I should even try to convince you that we've somehow closed that gap, even though, to your absolute point, 1 in 1-11, the outcomes are horrible? This is what well, the mental yeah, gymnastics I... Nebraska fans do. Right? <laughs> so just just bear with us as we walk yes. you down the path to 12 wins. <laughs> How do we get to 12-0 and 0 is my point, Brett. <laughs>
2: Oh man! man. So they got to cancel the season in Ohio State. (laughs) 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 That's right. (laughs) No, No, so I, you know, I buy that Iowa argument. I I do. I mean, those were all pretty much coin flips. A lot of them. That is a close game every year. I'll give you that. Uh, It seems like the wind and like the nasty weather every year for that game. Yeah, I'll give you that. But Wisconsin, I, I still don't see it. They've overpowered Nebraska all the way back to the Pelini years. Mm-hmm. I mean, oh. just that that gross twenty twelve title game, oh. uh, the you know, the Melvin Gordon record breaker. It's oh, just every yeah. year. There's just no, there's no answer for it. So until I see it, I just I just can't pencil in here that Nebraska's defensive I,
0: line you, is going to uh, overpower yeah. the Wisconsin O line. Well, it just hasn't we, happened yet. So and we're going to Kinnick and we're going to Camp Randall this year too. I mean, I'm not trying to you know yeah, sugarcoat you know, was, any of that. Yeah, Iowa could be a toss-up, but then again, you have other programs surging too, like in
2: Minnesota out of nowhere was just destroying teams, I mean, they ran all over Nebraska. Yeah. Uh, Northwestern and Purdue, I talk about in the book how uh, both of them were extremely young last year, both bring back everyone, maybe they're not contenders 2020, but Purdue 2021, I mean, that's looking like a, a legit you know, 9-10 win team in a couple of years, so it's also a division I'll say this that is not getting enough attention nationally.
1: I was just going to ask you that because that it does bear saying that Purdue is has gotten better and are trending up as is Miso- Minnesota. So when you lose to those guys like you have, it's not just like they're throwaway games anymore. And You got to get over Iowa and you got to get over Wisconsin. We've proven. You know, we we struggle with these other teams too. There is really no pass in like Northwestern. That team I don't care who you are. They play. They get the game so down and dirty. You can't look past that. Well, that's
0: that's the discussion I've had with Jeffrey the Greek, and I think he's one hundred percent right on this. This division still gets talked about nationally at times as being you know behind you know some PJ Fleck. and that feels weird. Well, this division gets talked about by some nationally as being like almost behind MAC or or Group of Five conference you know schools. And it's like we had three schools last year finishing the top fifteen, but also that Big Ten money that's come in to allow. Purdue to keep a guy like Brom, and then Minnesota to have, you know, coaches like Fleck. The coaches in this division are outstanding. You know, I want to talk about Minnesota for a second. This was a team that last year going into the season, we didn't necessarily think they were going to have that breakout year in year three. And quite honestly, that's a team I'm pointing to. Year three of Fleck, year three of Frost, I'm pointing towards that as, you know, it's possible that we can go come out here and have a year that can shock. Now, if you look at Nebraska's schedule, and I don't mean to go back just to Nebraska, but if you look at what Minnesota's schedule was a year ago and you look at what Nebraska's schedule is next year, at the beginning part of the season, there are winnable games. There are games <laughs> where where Nebraska has to make hay early, like Minnesota did. Minis- Minnesota could have lost to Fresno. They could have lost you know, to South Dakota State. They could have lost to Georgia Southern those early games. They barely made it through them, and by the end of the year, they're doing what they did to Auburn. I mean, if there's any hope for Nebraska, that's what I'm looking at is what Minnesota did a year ago.
1: That makes me want to throw up my mouth, just saying, we look to Minnesota – <laughs> as our map to success. No offense, go for fans. I'm just saying.
2: <laughs> yeah, for sure. The schedule sets up similarly, where it's almost like it's two seasons. You have the first seven games. I want to say there there should be wins, but uh, who knows now in I'm an improving West. But the last five are definitely a step up, and it's going to be a gauntlet at to, to close the year. So get as many wins as you can in that, in that first half of the year because it's going to be you know, five straight grinders to close the year out. Yeah, yeah. just to get back to your point about an improving division, I mean, all, a lot of these programs are hitting their five-year average, their, their five-year high in recruiting. Um, Northwestern putting that money to use with that new facility mm-hmm. and attracting yeah. some a better caliber of, of player and transfer than they used to get. Jeff Rom bringing in a top 25 class to Purdue. I mean, that's just unheard of, I'm talking about a team that's historically one of the worst recruiters in the country. Minnesota is like 15th in the 2021 class right now, albeit early. Uh, even Iowa was cracking the, into the top thirty uh, in recruiting. So, uh, and Wisconsin. I mean, the, the, it goes on and on. I, I ran this stat last year. I think I got to update it, but the record between Big Ten East versus Big Ten West, it was about even. I mean, mm-hmm. it, it is such a it's such a perception issue nationally. It's just because the East has you know the playoff contender with Ohio State. It doesn't mean once they're seven, when you stack them up, that it's that far ahead.
0: It's not like anyone in the East is beating Ohio State, really. Their their losses have come from Purdue and Iowa, you know, the last couple of years, in conference at least. You know, well, speaking of the East, I mean, Nebraska a year ago, we played Ohio State at home, and then we had Indiana and Maryland. That changes this year. Let's start to transition to the East. Now Nebraska is going to go on the road to Ohio State. We are going to go on the road to Rutgers, where... Uh, former Husker quarterback Noah Vedral has transferred. And we also have Penn State coming to Lincoln. Tell us a little bit about the East, I guess starting with your number one team, Ohio State. Tell us a little bit about how that East lays out.
2: Yeah, so this is really Ohio State's division to, uh, again in 2020. Um, I was on the right side of it last year, picking Ohio State of Michigan. Most had Michigan. Um you know, this turns out it was it was Ryan Day's debut, his, his audition, whatever you want to call it. He aced it. Justin Fields lived up to his five star billing. Uh, this offensive line is the best one in the country. It's my number one line. It was a Joe Moore Award finalist as the best unit. Uh, I think four starters back, but yeah, so they have some personnel change at receiver and running back. But the rich get richer, guys. I mean, we're talking about Oklahoma starting running back Trey Sermon coming in, the transfer in and started Ohio State now. Their receiver core. They signed, I think it was four top 100 receivers, and that's, not, that's top 100 national, right? So we're talking about five, you know, five and four, high four stars. It's just incredible. Uh, defense, they reload again. What else is new? So this is, uh, you know, this is a machine. They're going to win the division again. Probably a, a decent step back. You have Penn State, a team where right, this one was kind of a game-grader case study for me. Um, you know, they had the 11 wins, but when you dig into it, a lot of them were one score wins, and they were actually outgained in five of their wins. That's kind of an indicator that maybe some of those could have flipped the other way. Uh, I know that Michigan game; they, the Michigan player dropped a, a ball in the end zone to tie it. Stuff like that. The Iowa game was just I mean, an ugly Iowa game, like it always is. Um, even Pitt had them thrown in the end zone late. So,
0: mm-hmm.
2: uh, Penn State, I think, is a, a decent notch below Ohio State. They still have that top ten, top fifteen talent. You know, a second year quarterback, some scheme continuity on defense, so they'll be tough. I mean, that's going to be a tough game. There's no getting around it. They have one of the best defenses
0: in the country, too. Micah Parsons, an absolute freak at linebacker. Yeah, he's okay. Um, so it, <laughs> it, it, yeah, yeah. He, he's more than okay. He, uh, yeah,
2: he's, in, he's an All-American for sure. Uh, uh, actually, funny story with Parsons. He, uh, he's from central Pennsylvania, out, out of where I'm based. He ran through this whole area. He was a running back and linebacker. He would Mm -hmm. just—I think—they averaged sixty points a game in high school, and it was—it was incredible. So incredible athlete.
0: He came to Nebraska for one of our Friday night lights during the Riley era, and you know, no pads on. They're just running around on the field. But you know, we have like six thousand fans on a Friday night in the summer watching these kids do a camp. And Parsons is—he's running track out there. He's oh. running receiving routes. I mean, the guy is just—oh, well,
1: he had—it was, was crazy. There was a part where he he lined up at wide receiver, and one of the four-star, five-star—I I don't know if that was when Buki was at. I don't think it was. He might have been, might have been. But Parsons just did a fly route and just paced the guy, <laughs> caught over his shoulder, and just laughed <laughs> on his way back, saying, "You don't know about big boy speed, you know?" He's oh, just man. like calling him out, You're like, and yes. these aren't slouches. And I'm like. And you know, at that point, he was sort of teasing, coming with us. I was like, at that point, like he ain't coming here. I didn't <laughs> yeah. know, why he's coming here. He <laughs> we got none of those guys. Yeah, he made Central
2: PA look pretty weak. It's a strong football area, but he ran right through it. But uh-huh. it looks like an '80s, an '80s Penn State team—the strong front seven, a big run game—and uh, we'll see. So, and then a way, way step down. Your other opponents, Rutgers. I actually, for the first time in probably five years, I had Rutgers climbing out of the basement there. Uh, finishing 6th in the East above Maryland. More so, I, I, I love the Shiano hire. He had success here. He's really the only guy that's ever sustained success at Rutgers. It's crazy. They had to get all these former governors involved to try and secure money. It was a whole... I mean, classic New Jersey. They made it all political, but it, it was it was a crazy <laughs> sideshow. Anyway, I, he brought in a ton of transfer talent, um, and they're a notch above where they were last year, but that, that should be a win for Nebraska, for sure.
0: One team that I'm interested in here, Nebraska lost to him a year ago, and It was one of the games that, you know, we got out early and didn't finish it off. But Indiana, you have them fourth, right in the middle, ahead of Michigan State here. And I love their quarterback play. They seem like, are they making that step? Do you see them being a permanent kind of number four in that top half? Or is this about their ceiling that you see Indiana getting to?
2: Yeah, I, I could see a uh, you know kind of a, a short-term switch here with Michigan State for the Big Four mm-hmm. in the East. I mean, I love the Tom Allen hire. That was a, one of the coaches I was able to talk to this preseason. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he knows his stuff defensively. He's built a, a pretty strong roster. This is this wasn't a fluke. I know that. On paper, you know, losing to Indiana must have stung, but this was not a fluke team. They they were eight wins. They should have maybe had ten if you look at it. Mm-hmm. Um, everyone's back. It's very veteran. All conference guys scattered throughout the roster. It's a strong team. Meanwhile, you have Michigan State going through kind of a downspin. The back half of that Antonio era really took a step back. This wasn't the old no fly in like they used to have. It was just uh, it was average defense and just terrible, terrible offense. And um, you know, late coaching change. Not much history on Mel Tucker yet. It's hard to, to forecast. He didn't mm-hmm. really, I you know, had one year at Colorado and it was, you know, average to below average. So I'd see a step back from Michigan State over the next couple of years here.
0: All right, well, before we we get out of the Big Ten conference here, I want to ask you, you know, last year we talked about how Minnesota kind of ended up being the surprise team of the year. You know, looking forward to this year and seeing kind of the numbers and everything, even if it doesn't match what you have right now, listed, is there someone that you see that could maybe rise out of nowhere? Who could be that surprise team this year coming out of the Big Ten?
2: There's one team that comes to mind. It's, it's Northwestern. It's fits It's a team where last year, already coming into it, they were already kind of handcuffed. They were super young, right, coming into 2019. Mm-hmm. Uh, coming off what we, we talked about last year as kind of a fluky division title run and you know, all the numbers said so. They were very young, and then they got super injured. I mean, it was injuries all over the place. They were down to their four-string quarterback at one point, this kid Marty, who they ran the like, Wildcat and so Reed 40 times in a game. <laughs> um, I mean, they were they were handcuffed. I mean, it was a total outlier over the Fitzgerald era. It was enough to make an offensive coordinator switch, but still, I think a lot of this has had to do with youth and, and injury, and those things tend to even out year over year. So what you have with Northwestern this year is, first off, a team that's met, being picked by most to finish last in the West. I don't think that'll happen. I have them a fifth. Uh, with even a higher ceiling here uh, for a couple of reasons. So what was very young last year and injured now is very experienced. The number one uh, returning production. So that's returning starters or backups or guys that played number one in the country. So oh, that's I mean mm-hmm. that's offense and defense. Not only that, but they bring in Peyton Ramsey, uh, a multi-year starter from Indiana, who he was actually, I think he set an Indiana pass record for accuracy. I know that he played at spots last year. I think he played against Nebraska, played well. Uh, this is a proven Big Ten guy, a top five Big Ten quarterback. So they fixed their quarterback issue. Their O-line is, is experienced and veteran now. They're healthy again. All those intangibles we touched on earlier in the show, it's just a, it's, it's a very sound program. Uh, defensively, a lot of it's back again. Uh, secondary's loaded. They have the pass rushers again. And then linebacker duo, Patty Fisher and Blake Gallagher. I, I, I feel like I say this, it's been like five straight years mm-hmm. talking about this this tackle machine duo, but here they are again, an amazing fourth season starting together. So, this is a team that, yeah, and also the schedule bonus, too, where uh, they avoid Ohio State and they avoid Michigan in the crossovers. Mm-hmm. And in non uh, conference, no Power Five opponents. So, if there's ever a team to make a jump from over the three and nine to, say, seven, eight, nine wins out of nowhere, who better than Fitzgerald in this program?
1: He's one of my favorite coaches in the league, too, honestly. Does a great job out there. They seem to be. I was going to ask you about this earlier. It's funny you brought up Northwestern, but it they look to be one of the harder teams to predict, just because they're they're such grinders and they well they, they kind ne- of and have they those always win year. close games. Yeah, they're, they're not. So,
0: they don't blow people out. They don't lose bad. You
1: know, Fitz does a great job. Who knows, man? Maybe in this in this new era of transfers and whatnot, maybe Northwestern can start cashing in on some guys.
2: Yeah, they're they're definitely uh, one of those outliers to try and predict every year. It reminds me of Kansas State where when yes. Bill Snyder was there. It's like okay, you look at the underlying metrics, you look at recruiting, you look at stuff like that, margin of victory, and it's always low. But you're like, you know what? That coach and that program just grinds out close games. It's just mm-hmm. it's automatic, and they and they surprise you when you least expect it with a a ten and two or a nine and three. So. Yeah, that, that could very well happen this year. Not just because of their reputation as a program, but because of all that youth coming back as veterans. Because uh, of the transfer quarterback, you know, the the health issue isn't going to repeat again. Mm-hmm. It never is. You know, the lightning doesn't strike twice in that regard and schedule. So that, yeah. that's my that's my wild card.
1: team. Yeah. Well, Fitz has earned it too. I mean, you talk about a guy who's a match for his program, like Frost is for yep. Nebraska. Fitzgerald's a perfect match for Northwestern. Totally understands it. He, that guy should have a long, long leash as long as he wants to be there. So, yeah, bounce back. I'm never surprised with Northwestern.
0: Yeah. Well, it is time now to segue to the national discussion. Oh, the Clemson-Alabama discussion. Yeah, I mean, you, know, you know the discussion <laughs> where there's 130-plus teams out there, but there's really only five or six that can ever make a <laughs> right. playoff. Your playoff that you have here, Clemson number one, Ohio State from the Big Ten number two, Florida number three, Oregon number four. What got you to that point where you picked those teams to be the uh, playoff?
2: Yeah, well, everyone kind of focuses on Clemson and Bama, and I like what you just said about you know talking about just the same five programs. That's what kind of motivated me to start doing the book. Uh, doing deep dives into all 66 of these because, I mean, I have a passion for it, for all these teams, and I got pretty tired of these national guys just, you know, ranting on and on about Bama and Ohio State and Oklahoma. I mean, uh, I mean I, I could talk an hour on Kansas' offense if you want, so <laughs> so I hope that pops off the page too. But uh, in terms of playoff this year, yeah, Clemson and Ohio State, I know it's chalk, but they're they sure fire bets to make a playoff. A super wild card there that I have at number four, no one else will have this nationally, uh, is Oregon. Mm-hmm. Um, now, right away, the instinct is to see Ohio State on that September schedule and, and write them off and, and throw them out of the discussion. But the question becomes, even if they lose that game, are they strong enough to go run the table in the Pac-12 and get in 12-1? and And uh, after looking at it, I think they are. So what it is, is defensively, really, it's, uh, they were top five defense last year, 10 starters back. That one vacancy, they they have not just one but two five star linebackers coming in to fill that one spot. So you know, and in, in that sense, it's the first time ever in Pac twelve history that a program has passed USC in five year recruiting average. Um, wow, the is bit.
1: that right? Yeah,
2: wow, yeah, he's doing a heck of a job. And the last bit on Oregon, the perception is like, oh, you know, it's the Chip Kelly speed offense and it's gadgety, and it won't hold up in a big game. Crystal Ball came in and kind of flipped that script and mm-hmm. built it from the inside out and built it in the trenches first and then out. Um, yeah, they lose some, some linemen up front, but all the starters coming in, the new guys, are higher-rated recruits than their predecessors. Mm-hmm. He's got a good track record developing them. And oh, by the way, they have a outland winner, Penny Sewell, coming back. So this is going to be a power team. You saw them out physical Utah in the title game and, and out physical Wisconsin even in the Rose Bowl. So. Uh, I think this team's strong enough to capitalize on a down year in the Pac-12, regardless of that Ohio State
0: game. Well, and Cristobal, you have him as uh, having the third highest impact of any of the coaches that were hired in 2018. You have him behind Mullen and Fisher uh, from Florida and and A&M. Frost is in that same class. He's right in the middle of the pack. At the very bottom of the pack are two coaches that are no longer at their schools, uh, Taggart from Florida State and Morris from Arkansas. I mean, it's amazing how fast – you know, some schools have processed through those coaches, but I agree 100% with Cristobal. I think he's a different style of coach at, at Oregon. I think he's bringing a different kind of swagger and a different kind of physicality to that program that, that's much needed.
2: Yeah, definitely. And um, r- what really caught my attention was that Pac-12 title game. And I don't know if you remember from last year, I had another outlier pick for the playoff. I had Utah. Utah. Yeah,
1: I remember Utah. Yep. Yeah,
2: that caught. That it made me a lot of friends in Utah. Now cut off. Yeah. Um, <laughs> It uh, it actually finished really close. It was the last day of the season on that Friday night, and if Utah won, they were pretty much in the playoff. It was it was a, a win and in situation. And yep. what happened was you saw a team kind of in the same sense as Wisconsin and Iowa, where they recruit that middle tier talent and develop it up having to go head-to-head against a blue-chip roster. And you started to see that next-level athlete shine through. They had this kid, Kayvon Thibodeau, the former number one overall player in the country. He was, I think, three sacks. He blocked a punt. I mean, it was just a, a different class of athlete. And, um, mm-hmm. you know, and then pairing that with a hard-nosed identity on offense and uh, just a, a staff that develops it well, I feel pretty good about Oregon in 2020.
0: So Oregon, you have fourth. Ohio State, you have second. We've talked quite a bit about Ohio State. Let's talk about number three here, Florida. And I mentioned just a second ago, Mullen, you had him as the number one impact so far of any coach from the 2018 coaching carousel. Uh, what's Mullen been able to do there at Florida? Why do you have them at number three?
2: Think back about Florida the last 10 years, right? So they, they've always had that top 10 defense. It's been, you know, nasty, aggressive, fast defense. They produce NFLers every year. That's not going anywhere. They, they have another top five, top 10 defense again, Ty Grath third year. The difference is, you know, the issue that held them back over the years was quarterback. They, they had a, a carousel. I think it was like eight different starters in three years. It was something crazy. They couldn't lock it down. Finally, they bring in a quarterback whisperer with Dan Mullen. Um, mm-hmm. And if you want to take a, a trip down memory lane, I mean, it's not just here. It was Dak Prescott at Mississippi State. He, t- he made into a, you know an All-American or NFLer. Back in Gainesville 10 years ago, Chris Leak and Tim Tebow, he was the coordinator rotating them around. And even a step back, Alex Smith out in Utah in 2004. So this dude has a track record, offensive mind. And finally, a guy, Kyle Trask, is the, probably the best quarterback in the conference. So he has a returning starter in this crazy offseason where Georgia's got transfers at quarterback and Bateman loses to, uh, uh and another nine starters to the NFL. I found more continuity scheme-wise and roster-wise and a high ceiling with Florida. So I think they come out of the SEC this year.
0: And, and number one, uh, I don't know if I can pronounce this right, Clem, Clemson, 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 oh, Clemson, yes. Yeah, it's a so, little
2: yeah. school down in South Carolina.
0: Ah, yeah. Clemson. Tell us a little bit about the about the men in orange.
2: Yeah, it's just a freaking machine. There's no getting around it. And, and so Dabo and, and more so Brent Venables, they built this thing up on recruiting classes in the 20th range or 15th range. Mm-hmm. Um, but now they're getting the luxury of top three and top five classes, so what used to be they'd have a couple years to develop kids. Now, when players leave early to the pros, it's just plug and play. They're plugging two five-stars into a defensive line that's already the nation's best. It's it's just incredible uh, embarrassment of riches down there. And, uh, yeah, I mean, you don't have to look any further than the star power. You have Trevor Lawrence QB, uh, ETN at running back, uh, just the stable receivers. The, the, the defense, again, will be a top-five unit. Not to mention it's kind of an easy conference this year at least an easy Atlantic division. So they're, they're a surefire playoff team. I don't see them losing twice. That's what it would take to knock them out. So. Mm-hmm.
0: And, you know, you mentioned conferences there. If we go to fifth, uh, you know, the SEC shows up again, Bama. Uh, so clearly – Saban is washed up now. He, he, what you're saying is he's done. You might as well just quit. No more playoffs. The game is passing by. He's not in the playoffs. Is that accurate? Or am I putting words? He misses old Lane. Am I putting words in your mouth there, Brett? (laughs) The
2: dynasty is done, my
0: friend. Bama fifth, Georgia sixth. You have to get to till seven till you hit Oklahoma till you hit a Big Twelve school. So I mean, when we're talking power five here. That's saying something, I think, about the, about the Big Twelve. How far down the first team even is?
2: Yeah, um, I don't know. It's it's tough. I mean, seven still uh, still a solid rank there. I think it's more so a testament to how deep that three team race is in the SEC. I think that uh, if Florida doesn't make it, I mean, you can just plug in those teams. No, not even bad an eye with uh, with Bama and Georgia. You know, it's funny with Bama. We we hold them to such high standards. It was statistically his worst defense ever in twelve years. It finished 12th. So, I mean, this is
0: – got to look
2: at these within the context. Yeah, the sky is falling, but it was still you know, a top-ten defense. So, um, uh, Oklahoma, yeah, I mean, they have a great offensive line again. Uh, the defense should improve under the second year of Alex Grinch. A lot of, uh, you know, four- and five-star talent. But, um, but yeah, so they do have to go through a quarterback change. This time it's not a proven transfer coming in. It's
1: Spencer Rattler, uh, who will be his first time starting. QB1, though, really man. Find- yeah,
2: he, he looks incredible, but, I mean, they all do uh, on high school teams. So yeah, it's just tough to really yeah, – yeah. that, that's a guy I'd love to have seen a full spring and see his development, but that's where i got to rely on some of the, uh, you know, more proven teams across the country. For so sure. uh, they'll win their league again. I, I call them the Atlanta Braves in the book where they win the division or the, their conference every year, they make the playoffs, and they, they can't win the actual title. So uh, more of the same from Oklahoma.
0: We round out the top ten, Notre Dame, Penn State, who Nebraska plays in Lincoln a little later in the season, and then A&M uh, to finish up the top 10. When we get to that next 10, it starts with the National Championship defending uh, LSU. And obviously, you know, there's no more Joe Burrow, and they, they've had a number of losses to the draft and so on. With LSU last year, I don't want to diminish anything. I mean, my God, what Burrow did was unbelievable. That is a all-time... It's a Barry Sanders kind of quarterback. It, the the season he had was unreal. But was that lightning in a bottle, or is this team... Could, you, could they be a surprise team in... Even finish higher than 11 thirds. This is kind of the peak where you think they could go, is where you have them right now, number 11.
2: Yeah, I've been calling 2019 LSU the, the ultimate one year wonder in college football. I mean, it all just came together perfectly. Uh, I mean, it, this stuff never happens. You have a, a backup transfer come in and then become a, one of the best quarterbacks ever in college football history. Mm-hmm. Uh, this you know, NFL pass game guy come in. Um, you know, everything clicked on um, the receiver stable, the defense. But now, when you look at it, all that's gone. I mean, Burrow first overall pick. You have Joe Brady now back in the NFL. Dave Aranda takes over at Baylor. Leaves behind that defense. Fourteen starters gone. Yeah. So, and, and they're also still stuck in the SEC West, which isn't going to give them a couple of years to you know they're, they're on a short leash over there. So, mm-hmm. no, I think it was a per, it was a great, almost perfect season. Um, you know, for Husker fans, for some context, I run my game grader formula back to old seasons. Um, I ran it back to the 90s. So the number one rated team in that entire 25-year history there is the 95 Hustle. Well, that and just proves your,
1: your, your formula is absolutely correct. Yeah, I mean, yes. Redcasters, Redcasters
0: <laughs> nobody can doubt the you Game Granger. just
1: figured – oh, man, I'm so happy. <laughs> uh, stamp of approval. <laughs>
2: But, uh, no, so that, so out. 95 Huskers, <laughs> number one, this last LSU team was number four. So it's a elite, wow. elite company up there. This was a legit all-time team. But again, yeah, it's a one-year wonder. They'll, they're still good enough to be a top 10, top 15 team. I mean, they recruited a high clip. They have five stars almost everywhere. But there's, you'd be crazy to think there wouldn't be a drop-off given the changeover and a short offseason with no spring. They're going to take a couple losses this year.
0: Mm. For Big Ten purposes, we round out the rest of the top 25 by saying – Wisconsin's number 13, uh, Michigan's number 18, and Minnesota comes in at 22nd. As you kind of look on the national scale here, I mean, we're looking at seven SEC schools are in your top 25, five ACC, five Big Ten, four Big 12, three Pac-12, and then Notre Dame. Are there any schools, I asked this with the Big Ten and when you mentioned Northwestern, but are there any schools, and maybe it's more than one, that you know could have that breakout year again kind of the way minnesota did a year ago are there any ones that you see nationally doing the same thing
2: yeah i have three written down here from the notes uh real quick in the sec i think a and m fits that category mm-hmm. uh this is a program before before people laugh at a and m you know 19 starters back uh, it's, it's jimbo fisher's third year mike elko approving d coordinators third year Kellen Mond's third year, a dual-threat quarterback there. Not just that, they get a schedule boost big time, where last year, and I don't know every team complains about their schedule, but A&M really had legitimacy to it last year. They played the number one team three times. So they swap out Clemson for Colorado, Jeez. and they swap out Georgia, a playoff contender, for Vandy. So right away, it's a two-game flip, and they're going to be favored in the first 10 games. Gonna, they could be 10-0 and heading into Alabama and LSU to close the year. So that's a team that's similar a good to team. Minnesota last year, it's going to be yeah. uh, high in those rankings into November. Okay, so from the ACC, I have UNC hit down here. Uh, if, you, if you if you pay attention at all to the recruiting, I know it's a different game, but they are tearing it up in recruiting. Uh, but on the field, you know, everyone laughs at this Mac Brown hire. What I like to do is wait two, three, four years and really see how his coordinator hires panned out mm-hmm. um, and run it through the formula. But really, I mean, he aces his coordinator hires. This uh, still this Longo long ago, airing the ball out, spreading it around. It Really, it clicked in his first year last year with a true freshman, Sam Howell. Everyone's back on offense, and most are back on defense. I think you'll see a team make a jump. They had six one-score losses last year, and um, you know those tend to revert with a more um, experienced roster. So UNC out of the ACC would be my sleeper. Uh, and then one more real quick would be Oklahoma State out of the Ooh. Big 12, where... You know, it it comes every few years when Mike Gundy and his program has a a trio of weapons at quarterback, at running back, and receiver. It's that Mm -hmm. next group this time around. It's Spencer Sanders, his true freshman. Well, last year, a true freshman. You know, dual threat, super fast in the run game, airing it out, gunslinger. If he can cut down on his turnovers, it'll be a great unit. Uh, And then, obviously, Trueba Hubbard, a 2,000-yard back. Tylen Wallace, a Blitnikoff finalist. So. Uh, when he has that offensive firepower, they can win a lot of games in that conference. So, that looks like their next best team.
0: You know, I, I'm old enough to think of the original trio for Oklahoma State, which had Mike Gundy at quarterback, Barry Sanders, and then Hartley Dykes at receiver. Oh, yeah, and that's yeah. the That was the original, I think, cowboy trio at, in the backfield there. Great unis, too. Yeah. <laughs> hey, I, was, I had a
1: quick question. Speaking of coaching, old, hiring old coaches that got laughed at, but you brought up Kansas' offense a little bit earlier in the show. What do you think about the less Miles hired? It was fascinating, I mean, to really consider this. Um, I, I didn't do it in this year, but in last year's book, I looked at former national champions
2: that took over rebuilding projects. And uh-huh. It's rare. It's very rare. Uh, the only guy to have success with it was Steve Sperrier, of course, won a title oh, in Florida. it was South Carolina. Took some years off, yeah, yeah and, and turned around South Carolina. But, but with Miles, I was actually pretty impressed last year because uh, a lot of his negative feedback he got at LSU was that he was too stubborn in the offensive uh, play calling. You know, he pictures them yeah. running that little to- that toss play like ten times in a row. Right. <laughs> um, now, though, uh, he was able to adjust midseason. He swapped out his coordinator for this guy, uh, Brent Deerman. Yeah. Uh, it's this explosive RPO game. It's definitely new age. Kids want to play in it. He's kind of a thought leader in the, in, in the offensive uh, scheme. So, yeah, great hire. He, he showed his his ability to be flexible and adjust and modernize the whole bit. So. It's, uh, it's, it's interesting, man. It's one of those programs that's almost impossible to win at, but making the right moves so far.
1: He, he's always kind of been one of my secret favorite coaches. And, you know, everybody kind of mocked the hire and everything like that. But for some reason, Les is pretty good about recruiting he's, or he's good about hiring the guys around him to recruit. And like you said, he's updated the criticisms about the, about the modern offense and whatnot. He, he sees athletes well and i think he does a good job of isolating talent and isolating the, the guys around him to do good stuff. You know, Puka Williams is back. Less he's interesting. He's an interesting pick. He's he's a college coach throwback. He's been in the Big 12 before. You know, i just i i kind of love the hire. I'm glad he's back in college football.
2: Yeah, for sure. It was a fun one to research and write about and uh you know, and uh, yeah, that whole conference, the bottom tier of that conference is going through coaching changes. So it's just, they're all getting their second year bonus this year. It's going to be fascinating.
1: But he out-recruited us for a defensive, or an outside linebacker, a four-star guy. So, I mean, he's doing work down there. And Kansas, Missouri, that whole area is a little open for business, honestly, for whoever the, St. the dominant. area, Yeah, right? exactly, that St. Louis area. I thought when Urban Meyer left you know, maybe there was a little bit of a window because Ohio State had such a, a stronghold on there, but it sounds like day's doing okay. But
0: that that's still, that whole area right in there is, there's a lot of good There's just a lot talent. of kids. And yeah. you mentioned it earlier about how certain schools, Notre Dame, Nebraska, you know, we're national recruiting teams. And we talked about the Redcast, I think it was a, a show or two ago. We talked about Georgia and the state of Georgia. We're starting to hit that pretty strong. We have some coaches that are from that area. And we mentioned how like Georgia just, from the demographics, you know, there's only like 10 or 11 million people that live there, but they literally put out the same number of recruits as a like California, which has 45 million. And there's only two power five schools there, Georgia and Georgia Tech. And Georgia Tech has, you know, academic standards that are even higher. So it's like... Uh, there's areas, and you mentioned St. Louis. There are areas where I think they're kind of primed for the picking for if the right kind of coach can get in there, the right kind of school can get and in there. If
1: Nebraska could own Kansas City and St. Louis, we'd be doing okay. And Omaha, we would be doing fine. Sorry, Brett. Sorry to take you Hey, down. I don't
0: even know if that was a question for you, Brett. That was just <laughs> yeah. that was just us going off on a tangent. Nah, uh, Yeah, I, I study that stuff. I think a lot of it is, yeah, you said demographics.
2: Some of it's just uh, maybe cultural or just what the area values? I mean, Georgia loves their high school football. It is insane. Mm-hmm. They have these quarterback, you know, camps and 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 guru coaches all throughout the year. Kids are spending tons of money for these lessons, and there's camps. and, and then you look at California. Uh, a lot of kids aren't playing football anymore. They, they you know, it's just a cult. Like I
0: don't know how to say it. Kind of a cultural difference out there where they seven on seven.
2: Away. Yeah, they, they don't want to touch a weight rack. Right? So <laughs> let's
0: move their tennis game, like, Brett. D-
2: <laughs> yeah it's just like a different it's just like a different feel uh state to state and region to region, so yeah, you see Georgia becoming a hotbed, and now another state over there, North Carolina is uh you know not historically a, a high school football pipeline, but these last couple classes it's heating up, and now you see Mac Brown being able to lock it down in state Mac Brown's
1: um, a baller recruiter i mean it's the yeah. same kind of thing. <laughs>
2: Yeah, historically UNC was able to lock down only ten percent of the blue chips within their state. This class, they're, they're sitting at eighty percent, and that's oh, why wow. they're number three in the country. Wow. So all it took was a guy to lock the borders down, and um, it's uh, it's Mac Brown right now, and he's got some ace recruiters, and this is going to be the home the home state team. And uh, yeah, that's another state that's just booming with talent. So yeah, Nebraska, get creative, uh, start hitting that southeast. I know Miami. They had success down there. I think if you're in a Nebraska fan, you got to cheer for them to keep firing their coach every year because there's, you know, keep that area unstable. Uh, you know, swooping in against some four stars.
0: <laughs> we'll do what we can, you know, Brett. Before we head out here, and I and I want, I kind of want to leave by saying the same thing I said a, a year ago to you. What you do, I just think is so cool because you didn't have any major backing. You didn't start, you know, on ESPN. You started doing this because you're just a college football. Fanatic, and you you're passionate, and your energy just comes across. And so to see you now, I mean, dude, you're a Heisman voter. You know what? did First off, how did they tell you you're a Heisman? Yeah, that's did, a do, great question. Did you get an email? Yeah, did they give you a call? What? How did you find out that you are now voting for the Heisman?
2: Well, first off, thanks for that that uh, that praise right there. It means a lot. I mean, you're right. It was it's uh, it's a, a one man operation, uh, and this is, it started in 2012 as kind of a Twitter page. Uh, I did my predictions still, but it was more so, um, you know, a, a way to get my my opinions and stats and graphics out on Twitter. And fans have really taken a liking to it and spread nationally. And um, you know, it's been a, an, an insane time investment, but I don't I just view it as a passion anyway. So it's it's been a, a heck of a ride seeing it grow. And yeah, so here we are. Last year, 2019, was my first real book I put out. It was the full book on sale. And uh, it made its rounds across the media circle down to the point where the, the PA Heisman Trophy Trust guy got a copy and was blown away. Uh, so, long story short, the Heisman, it's, there's 840 voters, it's broken out by state based on a number of FDS teams so in Pennsylvania we have 3 it's uh, Pitt Penn State Temple so however their numbers work there's say 20 voters in PA uh, each state has one guy in charge like a you know who dele- who delegates who gets the vote so this this guy from PA who's in charge got a copy of my book uh, we end up meeting in person. We talked for you know a couple hours actually, just talking football, kind of like we did here this last hour, uh, hitting it off. And he was reading through the book, and he was asking me, you know, how many writers do you have on this thing? Like, how many editors, and designers? I mean, it's full staff. And I was like, oh man, it's a it's just me. And he's like, what, what do you mean? Like how many designers? And I was like, no, nah, it's it's literally it's just a one man show. And then right then he's like, do you want to be an Eisner voter? And I was like, oh my gosh, this is happening! Like really surreal moment. I mean, I was blown away. It's just the ultimate honor. And, uh, and you guys know just through my work how, how seriously I'm going to take that. You know, you hear about some voters that uh, send in the ballot early or, you know, aren't as in tune nationally.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, he, he also brought up a good point how most of the guys in PA, and, and they do a great job of what they do, but they cover one team. So a, a Penn State beat writer or a Temple beat writer, right, who does it for 30 years on the beat for one team. Uh, it's rare for a national guy to have them vote, but he saw the level of detail I put into every team. And uh, and thought it'd be nice to bring that to the, to the PA electorate. So uh, mm, I gotta tell you, man, man, that,
1: that gives me hope for those guys to pick somebody like you. Because who better than somebody who spends this much time on college oh. football than you? Honestly, man, it's yeah, it's a deserved you. award. I love absolutely love guys that bet on themselves and and take the dive and just do what their passion says to do. Honestly, man. You know, it's it's such a it's one of the highlights of, of doing the podcast is getting to talk to you, but
0: every accolade, every award, every praise, I think there's totally deserved. Thanks so much. Yeah. We've done this for 3 years and we've always said we are not media. We in the academic sense of it, yes, we do we are media, but we're we're not journalists, we're not media. But when I think of like the media, the AP poll, there's nobody more deserving in my opinion to be voting in a poll. And having an actual vote of somebody that's watched all the games or, or has knows all the teams the new. I mean the, the amount of yeah. effort that you put into this. But I, I just want to tell the Redcasters here. I'm on picksixpreviews.com right now absolutely go there. Get the the preview for this year. It is totally worth your your time. It's worth your investment. But, I mean, I'm looking through some of the uh, accolades you have here. The Bear from ESPN. I mean, you know, David Jones, the former president of the Football Writers Association of America. And just a number of coaches that you've talked to. I mean, even as we've went through this discussion here, how you can pull back and go, well, yeah, because I talked to this coach from this school or I talked to this (laughs) coach. And it's not just head coaches. It's coordinators. It's down to any level. I mean, I just think that's how you have such a well-rounded yep. knowledge of, of everything is you've just talked to so many people.
2: Yeah, thank you. Thanks so much for all that. I appreciate it uh, and, and, and want to thank all the, you know, not just the, the Husker fans out there. They're very engaging on Twitter. They're knowledgeable. They're passionate. You know, when I, when I talk to fan bases across the country, a lot of the ones on the coasts and in the pro cities, they don't care as much. But what I, why I love Nebraska fans is you're on my level. You guys care about all this stuff just as much as me. Um if there's a, if I need to bet on one fan base, it's gonna be you know arguing over some old fact in, in the middle of <laughs> February, it's, uh, it's <laughs> I mean, And that's and that to me is a compliment because you guys care as much as me uh, and you've helped spread this thing and you know and and to you guys, the hosts and all the radio hosts I've been on, and you know you've all helped spread this. So this has been a, a almost a group effort uh, getting this thing spread really only through Twitter. I mean, I have no other, uh, you know, no other articles, there's no other no Facebook presence, uh, it's really just been an organic Twitter movement, uh, and then based off the annual season preview book, so, yeah, it, it's, it's great, I, I'm just getting started, man, uh, I, I did 40 shows in 10 days, I'm ready to do some more, so, yeah, it's the best time of year, I'm just excited, you know, to be talking uh, about something exciting uh, in, in a crazy couple months here, just bring it back to, you know, being able to talk about sports again is, is something to be valued, and hopefully we can continue that into the fall.
0: Well, I can tell you, Mac and I are going to do a little follow up after we hang up, but I'll tell you before we do that, this is my favorite interview of the year. And it's so much fun to chat with you here. And, and I just, I hope with everything, you know, we started off with the COVID talk and, and I, I hope that we can have as normal of a season as possible, whatever that looks like. And, uh, cause God, college football, there's just nothing better than it. Uh, hey, one yep. quick thing since we've got a Heisman voter on the line here, anytime.
1: Probably, I guess, later this year when Adrian's going to New York, <laughs> but let, let, let's let's go ahead and schedule a we'll reoccurring will any uh, interview anytime. A Husker is going to New York, man. <laughs> right, it would be a, a blast, regardless. For
2: sure, for sure. <laughs> One last thing, you guys will, would find interesting. It's it was uh, the most secure thing ever. Logging in to vote for that thing, it was like triple password. They they called to confirm your identity. It was like like a freaking bank, like breaking into it. Um, but you, you probably like to hear that because I mean, it's super secure. Uh, you know, state-of-the-art kind of thing. But, um, yeah, so the behind-the-scenes stuff's pretty cool. It's it's opened up a lot of doors in terms of conversations with people because like in college
1: football that's just like a, a title you can throw around. You're a know, Heisman Trophy voter, so it's like it, that's a rare company, voting. bro. Yeah, Man, that's yeah. that is so impressive. I mean,
0: you're you're like only the seventh or eighth Heisman voter we talked to. And, <laughs>
1: yeah,
0: and, and, and I don't know if I wouldn't get a tattoo
1: that said that I you know, Heisman do, voter. I do we
0: have? I don't know if I don't know if simple. There's other guys have had. I don't know. So, anyways. Um, you know what? Uh, we always allow the guests to end with a parting note. If you have anything you'd like to say to close it out, Brett, the floor is yours.
2: just on a closing note, like I said, just thanks to the whole Husker Nation fan base. Uh, you know, I've been on a lot of radio shows in the area, a weekly gig in, uh, on 1620, uh, and, and this podcast every year. A great talk. Uh, but just I, I love all the engagement on Twitter and how you guys have spread it uh, across all your avenues. And, and uh, I love the passion because you meet my passion. Uh, so keep it up. Keep the patience with Frost, and, um, you know, hopefully we have some real football to talk about. In the meantime, stay safe, and uh, let's, let's get our football back.
0: Well, Mac, that was cool. Yep. And it's everything I was expecting, to be quite honest, from talking with Brad. I mean, the dude's a stud. You know, I didn't even bring up the fact, like, we had Pick 6 Previews Day. It's a, it's a holiday on the Redcast, is the day that he releases it. and <laughs> We mentioned it on the last show, but... Uh, you know, you were kind of talking a little bit uh, off-air how he, he seems like, for being a national guy, he's an East Coast guy, how he understands Nebraska. I just think that's – we always talk about how important it is to be from here in some way. You you know, yeah, to yeah, really yeah. know Nebraska, you have to be from here. Culture. But, yeah, yeah to yeah, know yeah, the culture. Important. But he's not from here. Cool. And yet he talks about Nebraska the way that, uh, you know, someone that's lived here for 30 years would. I'm always
1: impressed by a guy that I don't have to you – know, you start talking college football about somebody, it's like, You know pretty early in the conversation, like, I'm going to have to dumb it down, (laughs) or I'm just going to have to do, you know, just talking points that we're not going to talk about. With Brett, it's like, not only am I not going to dumb it down, I'm going to have to step it up, but it's his insight into my team, your team, Mm -hmm. Redcaster's team. He understands where the Huskers are. He understands what our weaknesses were, our deficiencies are, you know, areas that have continually bit us in the butt when we're on this process of trying to get back to relevancy, right? So when, when I talk to a guy that I know is a national guy who understands our program that well, what's that tell you? That's the kind of guy who needs a Heisman vote. That's the kind of guy that if you're reading about other teams, you can trust that that's a pretty good take on that team, you know, time and place, you know, things can change. But, like, he gets Husker football. He gets what makes Nebraska tick. He understands – through Twitter how engaged mm-hmm. the fan base is and in his book that he writes you know that's that's his contribution to college football but man you talk about a guy with a wealth of knowledge Brett Siance yeah, dude
0: well redcasters we hope you enjoy it too you know we're going to continue that conversation with Brett we'll do it again here hopefully in the season hopefully there is Hopefully
1: when we have some Heisman contention
0: yes and hopefully there there is plenty of games to talk about this season we don't like to get into the negativity of talking about COVID and what the heck it might all lead to because nobody knows yet. So what we're doing is we're keeping those fingers crossed, Mac. We're yeah, Redcasters. We're, we're keeping going the positive vibes.
1: Business as usual. There's no point in giving any negative energy. I'm expecting a college football season in its entirety.
0: Yeah. Well, it's going to be the the Fourth of July here in a couple of days. You might have heard in the background a couple of uh, fireworks going off in Roka, Nebraska. Here we're already kind of a war zone, but. Um, You know, have a happy 4th, everyone. Uh, We're going to probably take the next week off. And so it might be about two weeks until we we do the next show. But uh, until then... (laughs) Okay, let me try this. Go Big Redcast!
1: GBR. Go Big Redcast.